doing our best here. Okay, it is good to be with you all here on this Sub-Zero day. No warmer place than in the presence of God. Um, okay, I need to settle the score here. Uh, this has been a long, uh, long-held debate in my heart of whether or not banana bread is best partially cooked or fully cooked, okay? Because my kids love banana bread that is like partially cooked, right? With the gooey parts in the middle. So one time I was making banana bread for a friend and I had never done this before. It was in college. I was a sophomore and learning the, the skills of the oven. And I went out and bought a box of banana bread mix and then I researched like the best banana bread recipes and I made sure that I did like a couple little variations, a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of lemon juice or something like that. And I made this, this batch of banana bread and uh, it comes out of the oven and it looks perfect for about 10 seconds. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> and so the question then began like, do I still give this banana bread to my friend or not, knowing that like it's not fully cooked on the inside? And uh, uh, I ended up giving it to them and I didn't hear anything <laughs> back. <laughs> I don't know where they are actually. <laughs> So raise your hand if you like gooey banana bread. Raise your hand if you like fully cooked banana bread. Okay. Wow. That's surprising because when I serve it, there's actually, is there, is there fully cooked banana bread? Oh, good. On the table. Help yourself. Because literally, when, when, I, when I bake banana bread or when we bake it here at the house, the kids want the gooeyest part. And um, here's my here's my thought on this. Uh, half baked banana bread is is good, at least for some of us. Half baked people not so good. Okay, um, if you are married, you know that the half baked places of your spouse are not the tastiest parts. You know that there's places that are unrefined. <laughs> the half baked uh, places in our hearts, when it comes to parenting, are not so pretty. Right. Uh, the half-baked parts, if you've ever been in a company or had employees, the half-baked employees, the ones that don't know how to uh, manage a calendar, don't know how to lead up, don't know how to lead themselves, not so pretty. So half-baked banana bread is good, half-baked people are not. And so we're going to continue in our series in the Gospel of Luke um, today with a message entitled Preparing for the Promise. Preparing for the Promise. Uh, we're going to take a look at Jesus' early life uh, prior to his public ministry and maybe some clues of what God does in order to prepare us to inherit the, the promises, the prophetic destinies on our life. Um, and we should know this by now, but God prepares us so that we can inherit those promises. He did this with the Israelite people. Um, he took them uh, 40 years through the desert, uh, and he did this with Jesus as well in his lifetime. Um, last week we learned the importance of living with a prophetic promise, a sense of, hey, there's a purpose that I'm living with, a direction that I'm living with, a sense that I know what God is up to on the earth and I want to partner with that. And so if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. Um, so I'll just share a few disclaimers uh, with today's message so that uh, you have some context uh, as you're listening. Uh, today's message will really only apply for those that are living with a sense of prophetic promise. Because if you don't know where you're going or what God has for you, if you don't have any kind of sense of like God's purposes for my life, then preparation won't really make sense, okay? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach as though you've already uh, gathered that. And maybe you'll have to come back and listen to this message again once you feel like you've gotten a sense and tapped into what God's purposes are for you. 
But I'll, I'll, I'll preach as though you already have that assumed. Um, remember that Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So God has good things for you to do. And, uh, and my hope is that we as a church would live with a sense of purpose in what those good works are, that we wouldn't be aimless, um, but that we'd have a, a clear sense of prophetic calling. Um, I also know that hearing God's voice is a new concept for many people, even in the church. The idea that God is still speaking, that he speaks to his people, is not something that uh, many of us are, are comfortable with or fully uh, resolved on. Um, but l- let me say this, it's a journey for all of us, even for those that are familiar with this concept of hearing God's voice. We can always grow in learning to hear God's voice in our life. And so uh, there's grace for that. But again, I'm going to preach as though this is solidified in your heart that you can hear God's voice, that he's got promises for you, that he has a plan and he wants to bring you in to his plans. Um, Remember Jesus' words in John 15, 15. These are becoming some of my favorite words from Jesus. It's when he says, I no longer call you servants uh, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. Uh, because everything, Jesus says, everything I've learned from the Father, I have now made known to you. Okay, Jesus wants to share the secrets of the kingdom and his Father's heart with you. He doesn't want you to live without a sense of purpose uh, in your life and a sense of prophetic promise of where he's going and where he's taking you. So today's teaching text is going to be uh, several selections from Luke 2, 3, and 4. Uh, And what I'd love to do is actually read these out loud. This is a common practice throughout the church, throughout the ages, that we'd actually read the Word of God out loud. And so I'm going to ask Dylan, actually, if you'd be willing to stand up. And I've got here for you, Dylan. I know you've got your own Bible. I've got just pre-printed out um, the sections for us because it takes it down from about 10 minutes worth of reading to about 3 minutes worth of reading. I thought this would be more effective. So come on up here, and uh, if everybody would mind, wouldn't mind standing for the reading of the Word of God, these selections from Luke chapters 2, 3, and 4. There you go, just these two. All right. Luke 2, 41 through 52, the boy Jesus at the temple. Every year when Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover, When he was twelve years old, they went up to the festival, according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why are you searching for me? he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her hearts, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Luke three twenty one through 23 When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, with whom, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. 
Luke 4, 4 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of Man, or the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the high point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself from there, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil had finished all his temptation. He left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You guys can sit down. Thanks, Dylan. So my son, John, you've seen him, uh, three-year-old, his favorite game uh, often to play is hide-and-seek. It is not my favorite game to play. Uh, and so he'll ask me, like, Dad, let's play hide-and-seek. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I love to do so many things, play Legos and build trains. And the thing with hide-and-seek is that, like, it ends up with me, like, cramming myself into a tiny corner of a coat closet. And... <laughs> for about 90 seconds and then he gets scared and he can't find me so then I have to like let him find me within 90 seconds and I move to the next corner of some room underneath some covers and blankets and so and that goes on and on he also has very like specific requests like he'll say very clearly like no I hide you find me or you hide and I find you he, he knows exactly how to play this game um, so in this first story of Jesus in the temple Jesus and his parents are playing a bit of, of hide and seek if you remember the story, uh, they're at this festival, and his parents are returning home with a company of people, family, friends, and they're journeying back home. And uh, th- then all of a sudden, it dawns on them that, like, hey, Jesus isn't actually with us. Like, parenting fail. We all have them, okay? Um, I'm sure it's happened to the best of us. Uh, and all of a sudden, they, they return, and they, can, they start looking for him back in Jerusalem. And it says, after three days, they find Jesus in the temple courts. It's a long time to be missing your child. Like, just imagine uh, how much anxiety uh, was, was, was fueled in, in the parents during that time, how, how anxious they were. This wouldn't be the last time that Jesus would be missing for three days. As you know, the end of the story, Jesus is, is, dies on the cross for three days. He's, he's gone, and, and the disciples don't know exactly fully what happened to him before he reappears. Um, here's, here's something that we're going to do. As I go through this, this particular series of texts. I'm just going to go um, section by section, and there's a lot of different points here, um, and I don't typically preach in this way, but what I want to share with you is uh, five points for preparation uh, for the promise. Okay, so five points, five <laughs> primary points for preparation for the promise, and then there's there's some other um, additional ones in here. Here are some things that I see from this text. Uh, one is that uh, I believe that all anxiety in life is a result of losing sight of Jesus. Like, wherever we lose sight of Jesus, wherever we find ourselves looking around and be like, oh, Jesus isn't here right now. Jesus has left the room. 
Uh, I, I left Jesus' presence a long time ago, and I haven't seen him. Uh, this plan that I've started uh, going down this road, uh, I didn't invite Jesus into this, and I'm not even sure that Jesus was in this in the first place. All anxiety in life is a result of losing sight of Jesus. Um, sometimes we make moves in life, assuming God is, on, is in the, that move, and yet Jesus might be back back there somewhere. And we have to ask ourselves, like, did I, did I do that, or was that really Jesus leading me to do that? Um, and some of you just might, I just invite you, you might have to ask God if there are any places in your life where like you left Jesus behind, right? Um, because if you're feeling anxious about something and you've lost sight of where Jesus is in your life and in your presence, um, then I suggest that you go and seek Jesus. It's time to seek Jesus, which is my first point, the preparing for the promise. Rule number one, seek Jesus. Um, verse uh, 249 says this, um, Jesus asked the question, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Uh, so it's interesting. The parents went on assuming Jesus was with them. And yet Jesus was here and he's like, uh, isn't this obvious to you? Like I was in my father's house being about my father's business. And so if you want to stay close to Jesus, you need to remember this, this principle. Uh, staying close to Jesus means that you follow him, not the other way around. Okay? If you want to stay close to Jesus, you follow Jesus not the other way around. So you got to ask Jesus first and foremost, what are you about? And he's always going to say, I'm about my father's business. <laughs> and, and what are your purposes on the earth? Uh, we covered this a little bit last week, but we don't just kind of start when we are asking for a promise or seeking the Lord. We don't just say, hey, what do I want? First say, hey, God, what do you want? What are you, what's your heart for, for this earth and for your people. And, and we talked about the end time, the big picture of where, where all things are going. And then we say, hey, God, can I get in on that? I want to get in on that, uh, that plan. So if you want to stay close to Jesus, you will have to seek and follow him, not the other way around. Um, Romans 8.28, this is sometimes misquoted, but he says, he works all things for the good of those who love him and... Called. called according to his purpose. So it's according to his purposes, not according to our purposes. So it's, it's not fair to just say, hey, God's going to work it all together for good, as though we're assuming that like we're on the same page with Jesus. Does that make sense? We have to first lay that foundation that, hey, we're seeking Jesus and, uh, and his plans and his purposes. Um, but I believe it's, so po- it's possible to become so aligned with God and his purposes and God and his heart uh, that Jesus can say, like he did in John 14, uh, ask for anything in my name and it will be done for you. Again, this has to be taken into context of somebody who is completely, uh, their life is consecrated unto the Lord and his purposes. Uh, John fourteen twelve says this, Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, this is Jesus speaking, will also do the works that I am doing. He will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. Again, Jesus is speaking to disciples that are fully aligned with God's intentions and God's purposes. These are not disciples who are uh, looking to make their name great, but make the name of the Lord great first and foremost. So, again, summary, preparing for the promise, point one is seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. We need to become students of Jesus, following in the feet of Jesus, learning from Jesus. And that's why we gathered together here uh, in this place of corporate gathering where, where two or more are gathered in his name. He's present. 
So just like Jesus was in the temple uh, seeking his father's uh, house, uh, seeking his father's business, we can gather together and learn from Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, in verse uh, 251, it says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Uh, Jesus demonstrates for us what it is to partner with a promise uh, in our life by submitting to his parents, imperfect as they were, and allowing God to mature him under their guardianship. So part of our preparation process is learning to trust God, working through people that he has placed in our life. And God can do it through anybody. God can raise up Davids with Saul's, as you remember. Uh, But he can also raise up Elisha with Elijah's. Like, he can also use great leaders and poor leaders. And you can still learn from them if you are submitted to God and his purposes in your life. And so we need to uh, submit ourselves to God's process in our lives. Um, Prophetic promises are a bit like, uh, they're not like God's sovereign prophetic words for the world where like, it's not dependent upon human agency like there are things that god declares that will happen regardless of human agencies but then when it comes to our own life uh there is a relationship that takes there's a relationship component that takes place and in personal promises i liken it to this if i were to say um to you charlie if i said hey charlie come to my house tomorrow and i promise you i'm going to give you a hundred dollar bill if you never show up i'm still a man of my word but you didn't do your part And so that's the human agency component here that we need to partner with God in the promise in our life once we find it and then say, God, I'm willing to submit myself and be obedient to you. um, And and then we will see God work and and see that promise fulfilled in our life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Verse uh, 52 says, And Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and in favor with God and people. Okay. As Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom, in favor, and in favor with God and people. How can somebody grow that is already like preeminent? Like, how can somebody grow that's already perfect? So, if Jesus grew, we know that how much more do we need to grow? Like, yeah. in our life, right? Like, if Jesus grew into this prophetic promise, which was so unique to him to be the Savior of the world, how much more do we need to grow up into God, into the things that he's called us to do? Uh, just because you are loved unconditionally, just because you carry a promise in your heart, just because you have a sense of what God has called you to, does not mean that you are actually fully ready yet. That's good. Mm-hmm. This is what I like to say. I say half-baked people don't inherit the promised land. They inherit the process land. Okay? The process land is where you just keep circling that mountain. And so as long as we're, we're half-baked in our process, we're just going to keep circling that mountain. And we won't inherit the promised land. We're going to inherit the processed land. Um, and uh, as long as we're, we're living, God's going to continue allowing us to go around that mountain because his desire is for us to be fully formed into his image and likeness. So a summary uh, for number two, submit to the process. Number one was seek Jesus. Number two is submit to the process. Moving on to the second story, Jesus' baptism, Luke 3, 1 through 22. Verse 22 says this, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Here's what I see here. Identity must precede good works. Mm -hmm. Or we will be attempting to earn our grace, earn salvation, earn our sanctification and God's affections. Mm -hmm. 
So identity must be must precede good works, or we will be attempting to earn our grace, salvation, sanctification, and God's affections. Uh, I believe that people act according to their identity and who they truly believe themselves to be. So it's so important that God transforms our nature and our identity because then our actions will flow out from that. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's good. So oftentimes I've heard people say like, I'm not ready to go to church yet because I need to get myself cleaned up, right? Mm-hmm. They're saying like, I have to go wash the outside, right? Without taking care of the inside. Well, if, they're, if, they're, if they don't feel clean, the church is exactly where they need to come <laughs> because that's the place they're going to get restored and they're going to receive the spirit of adoption and receive the new identity uh, the impartation of Jesus into their heart, reminding themselves of who God calls them to be. Identity must precede good works. This is why behavior modification and behavior management is so fruitless. Um, so oftentimes uh, we try to like muster up self-control. We try to muster up good behavior and we want to be good people. And, and then we get, we f- we're filled with shame when we, when we, when we fall short. Um, but God is saying, I want to give you a new identity uh, because I believe that when you know who you are and you actually believe it, not just in your head, but in your heart, you actually believe like, hey, I am, I am sanctified. Like I am a new creation. I am a son or a daughter of the living God. Your, your behaviors will follow. Um, a phrase I adopted a while back for my own life um, when I had a revelation of who God is was this. I'm a healthy person. And I make healthy choices. I'm a healthy person and I make healthy choices. Um, I didn't necessarily come from the a natural family that valued health and wholeness very, very much. Um, but when I started studying the nature and character of God and how healthy he was, how whole he was. And then I remembered, oh, I'm made in your image. I'm your son. That's my inheritance. That's, that's, that's my promise for my life. That I'm going to be a healthy and whole person because that's who my God is. And so that identity piece had to change. And then I could start making choices consistent with that identity of who I was. Does this make sense? So uh, summary rule number three, uh, you have to secure your identity. So seek Jesus, number one. Submit to the process, number two. And number three is secure your identity. In the, the third section of scripture, we read of the genealogy of Jesus. And uh, I didn't have Dylan read the whole lengthy thing for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, but a couple things stand out. One is it says this in verse 23. No, uh, uh, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. You might ask the question, like, how much time is enough for preparation? I cannot answer that because I think it's so personal for each of us in each of our seasons and our assignments. Um, I don't know in terms of days, months, or years, but I can tell you how much time Jesus spent roughly in preparation for his public ministry. If, uh, if we look at the entire uh, 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 documented life of Jesus and we were to lay this out, um, we know that he lived to be about 33 before he died on the cross. Okay? We also know that uh, he started his public ministry when he was 30. And then we have just these little snippets of his life when he was really young, this appearance in the temple, and obviously his birth, right? And so uh, what we know about Jesus is that almost exactly 90% of his life was spent in hiddenness. Like, we don't know anything about his life. Jesus didn't need us to know anything about his life. 
for 90% of it. So oftentimes, I think we live in a culture where we can't wait to be discovered. Like, we can't wait. We, we get a, like, a, a download from the Lord. We're like, oh, I need to put this on blast right now and, get, and let everybody know this, this profound revelation. I think that we, we live in an environment where uh, people get exposed far too quickly in life. And if anybody knows anything about film, it's kind of like the old-fashioned film that you would take in a camera. Um, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, film. Okay, good. So I took, a, I took a, a photography class in high school, and the way you develop film is in a what kind of room? A dark room. A dark room. And what happens if that film gets exposed to light too quickly? It's ruined. We are the same way. If we get exposed too quickly in life, if, if we just jump at our own opportunities without really listening for God's leading and God saying, hey, it's time. Your time has come. We will be ruined. We'll be exposed too quickly. And so we can learn from Jesus' life that hiddenness is not a bad thing. Hiddenness is a beautiful thing. And it's really good to lean into that hiddenness and to trust God in his timing. So uh, rule number four, I say this, develop in the dark. Mm -hmm. Develop in the dark. Let God develop you in the dark. Like, let him develop you in hiddenness. If nobody knows you, it's okay. God knows you. Like, if you don't have a ton of followers, it's okay. You're following Jesus. That's the most important thing. Like, develop in the dark and let God do his work in the place of hiddenness. As we continue in the genealogy of Jesus, we read in verse uh, 3, chapter 323, it says, He was the son, so it was thought... Of Joseph. And then it goes all the way down through the lineage, all the way down back to Adam. This phrase, so it was thought, is really important. Um, and this is where I just want to preach the gospel for a moment. Uh, Jesus was not born uh, of a natural father and a natural means. Uh, he, he could not have been born of a biological human. Uh, we know from the fall that Sin entered the world, and Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We were all born into original sin. Uh, we all participate in that original sin, and uh, in our lives we all need forgiveness from sins. But Jesus was without sin. He was perfect. He had to be the perfect, spotless lamb in order to atone for our sins. And, uh, and so Jesus uh, was not born of Joseph. Although he was adopted in the house of Joseph, he was born through an immaculate conception, through the Holy Spirit coming and, and, and having a child through Mary. Does this make sense? So this is how salvation works. You can't will yourself to be saved. You need an immaculate conception. You need a divine intervention into your life. You need to be born again. Um, and this is how sanctification works. You can't make yourself a more holy person. You need the grace of God in your life. You need to remember that you have been adopted into the family of God. And so this is so encouraging for anybody who comes from like a really uh, dysfunctional, unhealthy, uh, not very incredible family. And it's also really good news for somebody who comes from a really healthy, amazing, functioning, like leaders, faith-filled family. Because it doesn't matter. It's not about like God. It's not about man's influence on your life and then things that you bring to the table. It's about what God brings to the table. Does this make sense? Yeah. 
I think this 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 um, genealogy is just so profound because Matthew uh, takes the the lineage of Joseph um, to show that Jesus was a son of David. Um, uh, but then this particular lineage is actually the lineage of Mary. Um, uh, and it, it's a little bit confusing because it says the son of Heli, who is actually the mother-in-law of Joseph. And so when we take a look at both the lineage of Joseph and the lineage of Mary, we remember uh, that there is a missing component, and that's a biological father. And each of us uh, have, thankfully, uh, received that immaculate conception, Jesus, the spirit of adoption, and our heavenly father. Uh, and that has great implications for us in our life. Amen? Okay, in this final story, uh, the temptation in the desert, Luke 4, 1 through 13. Um, chapter 4, verses 3, uh, the temptation of bread. Turn these stones into bread. This is a very familiar temptation um, because the Israelites, when they were in the desert, demanded bread. And, uh, and yet Jesus does not demand anything from the Father. He says, God is enough. Uh, God is going to be enough. And so he passes the first test. The second test was when Satan said, um, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these things. And yet uh, Jesus passed that test and he said, there is no God but Yahweh. There is no other God. Um, we remember the Israelites worshiped the golden calf. They did not pass this test, right? Uh, Jesus passed this test. Um, and then there was the third test, which was that of the invincibility of Jesus, um, which comes out of Psalm 91, which is actually attributed to Moses himself who wrote this passage, um, saying that uh, if the angels, you won't strike your foot on a stone, the angels will lift you up. And so the enemy who knows scripture is twisting this and trying to get Jesus to do the thing he was actually created to do, to be cast down and then to be lifted up again. So Satan is trying to get him to do what? He's getting him to try to prematurely mm -hmm. show the world who he is yeah. before God's timing. Yeah. So Satan is trying to get him to prove to the world that he is the Messiah. As we know, Moses did not pass this test. Moses' patience ran out. Uh, when, when the Israelites were complaining about no water, God instructed him to strike the rock, and he just started beating that rock over and over and over. And we see that Moses failed the test of trusting God for his timing. Jesus passed these three tests and his public ministry then would begin. Jesus would allow the Father to complete the process and bring Jesus into maturity instead of rushing the process and taking matters into his own hands. When do you know that you are ready? I would say this. When the thing you want more than anything in the world is right in front of you and you could take it or you could leave it. Like when the thing that you know you were created to do, the thing that you have longed for, have prayed for is right in front of you and you could sit there and say, I could take it or I could leave it. Promises, you see, become idols in our life when we want the thing that's promised more than the promise maker himself. That's good. So number five is this. Trust God for your appointed timing. 
Trust God for your appointed timing. Number one was seek Jesus. Number two, submit to the process. Number three, secure your identity. Number four, develop in the dark. And then number five, trust God for your appointed timing. Can you say four again one more time? Number four was develop in the dark. So how might this just change us? How might this impact us? How, how can we see this changing our lives if we knew that the perfect one, Jesus, was inside of us, perfecting us? That, that Jesus himself was approving of us before we ever did a single thing for him. How, how does this change us if we know that, that God is faithful to complete the good work that he began in us. Might we be less preoccupied with the approval of man and what other people think of us? Might we be less hard on ourselves and angry at what we're bringing to the table? Might we be more patient with the process, less eager and anxious, zealous to, to prematurely be seen? Might we be less careless with ourselves and, and, and not making such careless decisions knowing that God is in us, doing a good work, preparing us for these good works? Might we be freed from the limiting mindsets that exist in our mind that prevent us from accomplishing great works? Might we stop saying, oh, I could never do that when we realize, oh, but he lives inside of me. For some of us, this message is a call to seek Jesus. Uh, You don't actually know where he is right now in your life. You don't know for sure what he's doing. You aren't living with a sense of prophetic purpose or promise. And I would say to you, you need to go find him. You need to go seek Jesus. Life is so beautiful when you live with a sense of prophetic purpose. What might your life look like if you woke up every morning not wondering what your life should be about? And what you should be doing with your life. But you knew like, I'm here for a purpose. And God has spoken to me very clearly about my purpose. Seek Jesus. Like Jesus did, spend time in the Father's presence. Run to the temple. Run to the secret place. Seek Jesus. For some of us, this message is a call to submission. Um, You've been attempting to develop yourself and promote yourself. Uh, But you actually need the help of leaders, counselors, guides, disciplers, spiritual fathers, and mothers in your life. You need to submit to the process in your life. I encourage you to identify who are those people in my life. Who are those people that have permission to speak into my life and into my process? Who are the people that have permission to tell me no when I'm about to make a bad decision? I'd say give Jesus the keys to your car, but make a copy for your spiritual community too. (laughs) Like let him take the wheel, but trust that God actually might be like, hey, you know what? You take over and drive for this guy right now. He needs some help. (laughs) We're on a road trip, right? And God loves to share his leadership with other people in our lives. Submit to the process. 
For some of us, this is a call to adoption. Uh, for some of us, we don't fully know who we are. For some of us, we keep operating as if you were a child of Adam instead of a child of God. You keep assuming that what you bring to the table is what matters. You keep assuming like, hey, God, I've got all these credentials. Like, I'm pretty great. I hope people see me. And he's like, that's cute. <laughs> it's actually not about you. Others of you are like, I don't have anything to bring. I'm, I'm, I'm just worthless. I could, never, I could never do anything great in the kingdom. And he's saying, that's not true. It's not about you and what you bring to the table. It's about Christ inside of you, the hope of glory. If you have a dream, if God has given you a promise about being um, a great spouse one day and being married one day, I, I encourage you to study the nature and character of God and what kind of bridegroom he has been and is to his church. He is faithful. He is intentional. And then you start to receive that for yourself, knowing that that's your stock that you've come from. That's your blood that now you are a part of. That, and you can start saying, like, whether you're married or not, you could, you could say, for those who are married, you could say, I will be a faithful spouse because my God is faithful. I will be a selfless servant because my God is selfless. And you just to start declaring that from a place of identity over yourself. For those of you who dream of being a parent or a great-grandparent and having generations uh, coming from you, you can just start studying the nature and character of God as a father. What are, his, what are the nurturing characteristics like a mother that he carries? You can start just studying, God, what are you like? And then remember that that same Jesus lives inside of you. And you can just start saying, like, I'm going to be a patient parent because my God is patient with me. That's who I am. I am a patient person because Christ lives in me. And I have unlimited access to the fruit of the Spirit because of Christ inside of me. If you have a dream or a promise uh, for ministry, one day you want to be in ministry full time or you, you want to go lead this charge or do this thing or start this thing or serve in this capacity, just start studying the Good Shepherd and what he's like. Just start studying the life of Jesus and say, God, I just want to start being more like you. And then trust in due time, when it's ready, he'll come find you. Those declarations are so important, and I encourage you guys all to have daily declarations. Things that you just declare over yourself every single day to be reminded of who you are because out of your identity will flow behavior, and action. For some of us, this message is a call to hiddenness. Hiddenness is actually God's protection for you. If you get exposed prematurely, it could ruin you and the call on your life. If you follow church leadership over the past 20 years, we've seen no shortage of people that have gotten so much quick fame, so much quick success, and it actually has crumbled. They have crumbled and it has destroyed them. Uh, if you know anything about the church in America, we don't need more celebrity. We need more character. We need more character. And if you would allow God to develop you in the dark, uh, you'll be less prone to fall for uh, quick fame, celebrityism, and you'll be more prone to developing deep, deep, lasting, and abiding character in Christ. 
we need less people uh, who are eager to be seen and more people that are eager to serve in the unseen places behind closed doors. For some of you, this season right now is for you to develop more skills, more get more tools in your tool belt. It's, it's a season for you to apprentice. It's a season for you to shadow under other leaders and just to learn. Um, it's a season for you to develop that secret prayer life. Like, just start developing the history with God in the secret place. Become famous in heaven before you become famous on earth, right? Like, just just spend time with Jesus every single day in that secret place. And, and again, going back to a message from before about favor, if God gives you favor with man, praise God. If he doesn't give you favor with man, praise God. Amen. And then finally, for some of us, this is a call to trust God for the appointed time. And it's not just actually for some of us, this is for all of us. You see, there are half-baked parts of each of us that God is still wanting to bring through to completion. And so what I would say to those half-baked places in us, it's time to get back in the oven. I would say run to the oven. Get back in the oven. Like James 1.4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Anytime you find yourself with an unfinished part of your heart where you get triggered or offended really quickly, get back in the oven. Like let God do some more baking in your heart, okay? Philippians 1.6, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like, God is always going to be working in us. This work is never done. No, nobody ever fully arrives this side of heaven, right? We have salvation, sanctification, and then glorification one day when Jesus comes back. That's not yet. So God is still doing the good work. So get back in the oven in those places with un completed portions of our heart and our character. When you see an aspect of your character, your attitude, or your behavior, or mindset that does not align with Jesus, jump back in the oven. Like, let him continue to work in you. When you find yourself grabbing for promotion, the spotlight to be seen, and when you get so frustrated that nobody sees you, like, get back in the oven. Get back in the oven. God is going to be faithful to complete that good work that he started in you. God is going to be faithful to accomplish his purposes in and through you as he sees fit. Your job, going back to point number one, is just to follow Jesus. Seek Jesus. Don't expect him to see, follow you. Just seek Jesus. Like, and let him work through you as he sees fit. This is how we prepare for the promises in our life. This is how we become fully mature and complete Lacking nothing like Paul's prayer for his people. This is how we can present to God as pure and spotless bride. Is when we allow God to do the process in our life. When we allow God to develop us in the dark. To secure our identity. When we allow God uh, with the process in our life. We submit to the process in our life. What I want to do is just uh, spend time responding to the Lord. Um, we're going to put on a little bit of worship music here in a moment. And. I just want you to sit with this and ask, hey, for you, which of these points is, is most standing out to you as you think of your, your life, as you think about your season right now? Do you need to seek Jesus? Do you need to submit to his process? Do you need more security in your identity in Christ? Do you need to do some more developing in hiddenness and in the dark? Or do you just need to trust God for your appointed timing? Um, we're going to have our core team just spread out a little bit and uh, we'll be available to pray with you and for you if you, if you want to share any of these things with other people. encourage you to get prayer. 
Um, we need prayer. We need other people imparting faith to us and courage to us and, uh, and identify those things and then bring them to the altar and say, God, I'm choosing in this season to seek you. I'm choosing to submit. I'm choosing to become secure in my identity in Christ. I choose to develop in the dark. And I choose you to, to I trust you, God, for my appointed timing. So, Father, I pray that we would run back to that oven. Lord, we get back in, Lord, so that those unformed parts of our heart, of our inner man, our inner woman could be made complete, Lord. I pray that all those places that you're wanting to refine, Lord, that they would be refined. I pray that we would grow as a church into maturity. Jesus, if you grew, how much more do we need to grow? Lord, we need to grow. We need to become prepared for the good things that you have for us, God, individually and collectively. I pray this for our church as a whole, Lord. Lord, we don't need to be put on the map, Lord, because you already see us. God, we don't need to become famous because, Lord, we want to be famous in heaven. Lord, and I pray that our prayers, Lord, would be heard more than talk about how great we are as a church body, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you would actually protect us from overexposure. Lord, and I pray that we would continue to be developed in the dark as long as you have and you see it fit, Lord, in our lives, God. I pray that you do a good work in this church, Lord. I pray that you do a good work in this body of believers, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, help us to identify now, through your Holy Spirit, the places in our lives that you're wanting to draw attention to. We thank you for the perfect example of Jesus, who is completely obedient to the Father, submitted to the process, Lord, with his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, Lord. He returned home, and it was, he was obedient to them, Lord. What does it look like for us to obey now, Lord, in light of this word. 